0: And here's what we're covering today. Go. There we go. Is we're going to hit God's sovereign will. We're going to hit God's commanded will. We're going to hit our responses to both of those. And then we're going to see how do we make God, make, make godly decisions inside of all of that knowledge. So it's very practical, very helpful. My goal, my hope with this, what I've received as I've studied it is it's comforting. I want you to be really comfortable where we end. If not, then go back and read God's word again and you'll get there because it's just as God's word lived out uh, and taught out for us. So where are going to go? We're going to cover this in three parts. The first part is a, the right mindset. The second part is going to be context, mastering that context around these wills of God. And then the third part is going to be making decisions. How do we actually operationalize this and make godly decisions? So let's go to the first part. If you would look at your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to start. And go to verses 9 and 10. 9 and 10. And if there is a brave soul as such that would read that, I'll accept it. Just belt it out. Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 and 10. Thank you very much. Right, So there are three aspects to the right mindset as we start with how do we understand this thing called the will of God? And the beginning of Christ's modeled prayer to us helps us set that mindset. And there are three components there. The first one is hallowed be thy name versus how we think, the lens we look through. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed is to set apart, to venerate, to hold sacred. Whose name? God's name, right? It's thy name. You could have been sarcastic and said your name. No, it's God's name. Hallowed be thy name, right? We're we're setting out God's, our whole mindset is to think God's name is set high above every other idea that I've got. Okay, that's the right way to think. The next line, thy kingdom come. And the idea behind that is not recognizing, not solely recognizing, yes, I want God's kingdom to come because what a glorious day that will be. We were just talking about that the other night. That's going to be amazing. When God's kingdom is here, Christ is reigning on earth. But not only are we looking forward to that, but it holds the idea of also wanting to partake and be a part of aiding that coming. That's also part of the right mindset. And the last element there, right, is your will be done. Your will be done. This is not our will be done. It doesn't say that. It says your will be done. It's not a shared Idea like, hey, on Wednesdays it's me, and you get the rest of the days of the week, I'll do your will. It's not that. There is nothing like that. It's your will be done. We have been purchased, lest we forget, right? Purchased by Christ's blood. We are now no longer slaves to unrighteousness and sin, but we are slaves to righteousness in Christ. We have to think the right way before we can even start going, What is God's will for my life? Otherwise, we're thinking, What's my will for my life, and does God Say that's okay. And do we see how that's backwards? So we can't think like that. We have to be thinking a different way. Christ gives us the best example in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying the night before of his arrest, right? He's about to go through the crucifixion. He's about to take on all of God's just wrath towards sin for humanity, which is this amazing gift to us. And what does he ask God when he's praying to God? Matthew 26, verse 42, he says, It says, he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Christ, fully God, fully man, in his flesh, recognized this is going to be really, really, ultimately, infinitely difficult and hurtful and painful. Is there another way? But Christ, sinless in every way, recognize that temptation, that desire. He calls it out. Is there another way, but your will be done? And that's where we land. We have to land. So our mindset has to be God's name above everything else, set apart, venerated. That is the biggest part of my life. I'm looking to participate and seek and see God's kingdom coming. And my will is set aside and God's will be done in every element. This is a hard mindset to hold, a hard frame of mind to live in. You probably, I mean, at least it is for me. Um, but it's what we need to do if we're going to discern the will of God for our lives. So that's the right mindset. That's part one. What is the right mindset? And where are we going to go? The second part is going to be mastering God's context. And as we think about mastering God's context, it brings up the, uh, uh, the uh, if you did your workbook, you saw that the memorization verse for this set chapter is Ephesians five seventeen. Ephesians 5, 17. So if we have the right mindset and we look at this, it says, So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This word foolish, if you listen to MacArthur's sermon on this, it goes along with the study. He actually translates straight to the harshest version of that word, which is stupid. That's a hard word. That's not a kind word. I don't let my kids say that word. But that's what foolish is. It also could be translated as senseless, without reflection or intelligence, acting rashly. That's what we're doing if we don't understand what the will of God is. And Paul in the letter his letter to the Ephesians says, Don't be that way, but rather instead understand what the will of the Lord is. And so that's what we're that's why we're gonna jump into this context of what is God's sovereign will, what is God's commanded will, so that we can not be foolish and we can make good decisions. So that's where we're running. And uh, that concludes the first part. So going into the second part, mastering God's context. God's sovereign will is where we're running, and you have a lot of slides in your packet, and though so they're there for you, so um, and most most of it's all printed out, right so let's define god's sovereign will. this is I'm going to read it from the study. it says it's a purpose for all of his creation. He has a plan or a will for each of us, and though we often make his will more difficult to respond to than it really is, his will involves his ultimate, complete control over everything. This is his sovereign will. Ultimate, complete control over everything. Nothing happens that's not in God's plan. And if you want to know God's sovereign will, we look backwards in time. History is the unfolding of God's sovereign will where you can know it. He's given us everything we need to know in life life and godliness, Peter writes. And if we want to know what's going to happen in the future, we look at God's will, what's re- what's revealed to us, and that's all we know. And then the rest of God's sovereign will is revealed as history unfolds. And that's, the, and that's exactly what he, what he plans. When I was studying this, I thought, well, what about sin? Sin happens, so how do we deal with that? So God is sovereign, nothing happens outside of his control, but he doesn't cause sin. That would change his character. He would no longer be holy. He would no longer be separate. He would no longer be perfect. In his grace, he allows sin to take place so that we, one, he can be patient for those that he's commanded to be saved to be saved, which that's gracious. And we have to give praise and glory to God for that. If he wasn't patient, we wouldn't be here. And then the second reason, and this is where it's true, but my mind wrestles with this, and I invite you to wrestle with it too. Is in his infinite glory, this gives him the most glory that could possibly be received. Is when you set up the darkness of sin and you set up the glory of God, this highlights him the most. But nothing changes his will. Nothing can at all thwart or get in the way or hinder what he has accomplished. He's outset of time, he's infinite, and he works around our sin in a ultimately I don't understand way to where we can still make progress through life, and his will isn't hindered. So a couple of verses that support this idea of God's sovereign will that can't be changed. Isaiah, Isaiah 14, 24 is one of them. It says, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely, just as I have intended it, it has happened. And just as I have planned, so it will stand. Again, you can't thwart it. Just as God intended it happens. Just as he planned, it stands. Isaiah 46, 9-10 echoes those thoughts. It says, Remember the former things long past, for I am God. And there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. That's who God is. That's the God of the universe. That's who loves us. That's who guides us. That's who cares for us. And he's going to show us that he is sovereign over a lot of aspects. We're going to go over multiple aspects, creation, nations, Governments, individuals, salvation, sanctifications, and the smallest details of life. And I'm going to show you in Scripture that God is sovereign over all of those things. So it's going to be somewhat of a race, because there's a clock. So over creation. Revelations four eleven says, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. All of creation is enfolded in God's sovereign will. Psalm one thirty five six says, Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. We could say the end. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and earth, in the seas, and in all deeps. There is not a single spot throughout all of creation, which remember, all of creation is not just us, it's not just earth. It's all the galaxies, it's all of the universe, it's everything that is ever made. Or was ever made in His creative, creative act? Everything happens as the Lord pleases, and He does it. But because we need more proof, because we're human, He's also sovereign over each nation. So Acts seventeen twenty six says this: "It says He made from one man every nation of mankind. Who made it? God made it. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined." their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. He determined their appointed. Now, you ask any man who's, or any woman, have you, who determined what I was supposed to do today? We're going to say I did. But within God's sovereign will, he determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. Because he's infinite and because of the way he's created, he allows us to make decisions according to our nature. So we have freedom. We'll look at that in a little bit. But nothing can change his sovereign will. An example from the Old Testament from the book of Daniel. It's, it's too long to put on the slide, but the reference is there. You'll, you'll understand this. This is Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream over the, over the statue. And listen for where God's sovereignty shows up. Because I'm going to ask you as soon as I'm done reading it. This was the dream. Now we will tell its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the strength, and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. After you there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, and then a third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things. So, like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break all these in pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it the toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of pottery, so some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery." In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, and that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it, it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch as you saw that a stone has cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. In that section of Daniel, Where do you see God's sovereignty, his sovereign will? Say it again. Setting up of nations, kingdom after kingdom after kingdom, God is setting them up. In verse 37, he says, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom. Daniel's reinterpreting re- 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 this dream to Nebuchadnezzar, and he says to Nebuchadnezzar, the person that could just end him in a snap as far as his human life goes, God gave you this. In verse forty-four is when in this Daniel interprets and predicts that God is going to set up a final kingdom which will never be destroyed. And in verse uh, forty-six at the end, it says the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. God's sovereign will cannot be thwarted. in it's over creation and it's over nations. It's also over governments. And this is a familiar verse to us, Romans thirteen we We've looked at it a lot. Maybe some of you have looked at it a lot over the last couple, two years when government and its existence has done more than we thought it would do. Uh, but verse thirteen one says, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Every government is established by God. God, nothing happens outside of his sovereign will. And then you ask, well, what about the bad governments? Nothing happens outside of God's sovereign will. He is working out his purposes through people who are sinful to his ultimate glory, to save those who he has commanded to save and to receive the most glory. And speaking of those people, he's also sovereign over all of us as individuals. Psalm 139.16 says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. No one has seen that except God, our unformed substance. His eyes have seen my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were ordained for me. When as yet there was not one of them. In our unformed substance state, before we were there, all of our days were written, everything that God has ordained for us. In James chapter 4, 13 to 15, James writes, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. James recognizes that God is sovereign over everything that we do. And we need to do our best to fall underneath that. He's also sovereign over our salvation, which we know, right? Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, which is not on the slide, tells us we're dead in our trespasses, and there's no way at all, according to our pre-saved nature, our sinful nature, that we would ever choose God. So it has to be a part of His sovereign will that we would choose Him. Otherwise, we wouldn't, which is why Ephesians 1.11 is so amazing. Because it says, Also, we have obtained an inheritance, having been, what? Predestined, from where according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will not our purpose not our will we're not in there at all but he's sovereign over even our salvation james 1:18 says in the exercise of his will he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would be a kind of first fruits among his creatures and john chapter 1 verse 13 says it very clearly it says who were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man But whose will? But of God. Salvation is an act of God's sovereign will. You're going to pick up multiple themes as we go through this morning of, hey, we talked about that a few weeks ago. This is a culmination chapter in many, many, many ways. But not only is he sovereign over our salvation, he's also sovereign over our sanctification. And you might be thinking, but wait a minute, I'm supposed to be a part of that too. And that's true. We'll get there. But God is sovereign over our sanctification. Philippians 1 6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work, and you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Not confident that, hey, you'll make it there somehow. No. Which, how much comfort comes from God's sovereign will? Uh, he is going to work through us to perfect us, for, be ready for Christ Jesus. Philippians 2 chapter 12 to 13 says, but it's not just God working. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, here's the commanded part, which we'll get to in a second. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's the command to us. This is what we do. But look at verse 13. God's sovereign in our sanctification, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God's sovereignly working in us to accomplish these things. What confidence. Praise the Lord. As we looked at First Peter coming up as our next study, God is also sovereign in our sufferings. He provides those to us. First Peter 3.17 says, For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather for doing what is wrong. And First Peter 4.19 says, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. He does sovereignly in his will put us in tested scenarios, trial scenarios where we suffer. The sermon that MacArthur wrote that, we, that the study pulled from brings out this idea of collisions. If you're living within God's sovereign will, you're living within God's commanded will, you're going to be different from the world. You will. You're going to be living out the gospel. You're going to be sharing the gospel. You're going to look very different than the people around you that don't know and don't follow God. And he uses this idea of collisions. Then sometimes a collision is like a slight bump in a line and you don't notice it and you move on. Sometimes it's a major collision and someone's going to persecute you. We see that around the world, that whole range. And so that is part of God's sovereign will. And he's even sovereign over the smallest details of our lives. Matthew 10, chapter 29, excuse me, Matthew 10, 29 to 31. I love this. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. He's sovereign over every aspect. Proverbs 16.9 says, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Isn't that a great, hopeful proverb? I admit that sometimes that's a frustrating proverb because you had a pretty good plan that you liked, and now it's going a different direction. But God, who is perfect and holy, has a sovereign will and plan for our lives. And he won't let us go wrong. We can't break it. I find a ton of comfort there. So let's summarize God's sovereign will. It's only known to God except that he reveals when we use the idea of history. History reveals God's sovereign will. It can't be resisted or thwarted. I've said that a couple times. And Job helps us. Chapter 42, verse 2. God says, or excuse me, Job says, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And if you remember those chapters of Job, God proves why he's the one that is sovereign and in control over because he shows him creation and how everything bows underneath God's will. And Job responds rightly, there's no purpose of yours that can be thwarted. It controls every aspect of life, everything we have. And in Scripture, we are not commanded to know or discover what God hasn't revealed. That's not there. Which. Means we get to trust him. Which again, praise the Lord, he's perfect and awesome and wonderful and wants only our good. Wants only our good. So that's God's sovereign will. That's half of mastering the context of God's will. So now we're going to move into the other part of God's will, which is his commanded will. So let me define that. God's commanded will is what's revealed throughout the Bible as laws or principles. It's the aspect of his will that we are accountable to because we know it or can know it. Right? It presumes. That there, is a, that there is a God, there is a commanded will of God. It presumes this idea that we know it. See the memory verse for this chapter, Ephesians 5, 17. Understand and know the will of God. In the New Testament, this is illustrated in Colossians 1, 9, and 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask what? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, why, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, Paul writes to the Colossians that we can know this aspect of God's will, we can be filled with it, we can know it, we can obey it, and we look at this verse a lot because it is so key, Romans twelve one and two. Says, therefore I urge you, Paul writing to the Romans, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? Through God's word, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We can know God's will and we can prove it out in our lives. His commanded will. It's scripture. A book that is often referenced in this context is Gary Friesen's Decision Making in the Will of God, and you have this quote on your slide. And he says it this way The process of transformation is carried out as the mind is renewed by the Word of God, thereby enabling the believer to prove what God's moral or commanded will is. And MacArthur puts it this way Having the knowledge of God's Word control our minds is the key. To righteous living. What controls your thoughts will control your behavior. And we all know that to be true. Whatever you're thinking, you end up doing. He continues, self-control is a result of mind control, which is dependent on knowledge. What knowledge? The knowledge of God's word is what will lead to all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is our work. We need to know God's will. The Old Testament supports this too. Psalm 1, to 1-3. We looked at this a little bit last week, talking about obedience. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But where is his delight? It's in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever whatever he does, he prospers. We need to meditate day and night on God's law, on his will, on his principles. 1 Chronicles 22.13 also says this, Says then you will prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord commanded Moses. All of these items we have in the text of Scripture. We have his commanded will. We have everything we need to know. So we've covered his sovereign will, which can't be thwarted. We've covered his commanded will, which can be known and thwarted. That's called sin. His commanded will, what we're supposed to do and we're supposed to live out. So now we get to our third part, which is making decisions because of those two items, or in light of those two items. So first off, what's our response to God's sovereign will? I would give you two. The first is trust Him. He is sovereign and has a will and a plan for all of creation, all of our individual smallest parts of our day. He has a will and a plan for us. And when we have clear direction, we trust Him. When we don't have clear direction because it's not written in God's word, what do we do? We trust him in trials. When you don't know why you're suffering the way you're suffering or someone that you care about is suffering the way that they're suffering, we trust him. God is sovereign. And he is a loving God. Nothing in his character says this is a mean test. Everything in his character says this is a loving test. He tests the righteous and the wicked. And the one who loves violence, his soul hates. That's Psalm 11.5. He tests us. Testing reveals our true heart. Deuteronomy 8.2 says this, You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. We shouldn't be surprised when we're tested. God does this, to know our heart, to see our trust. And we're going to talk a lot about 1 Peter in the coming weeks, but 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exultation. So what should our response be? It should be trust. And it should be like Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Not only trust in the Lord with all your heart, because why would you give a piece of it to somewhere else if God's sovereign? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and not lean on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Lest we fear, I don't know what God's future for me is, Well, what are we supposed to do? Trust the Lord, not lean on our own understanding and acknowledge him and he will sovereignly make your path straight. He gets the most glory when we do this. First 1 Peter 4.19 <clears throat> says, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. So one response is trust him. The other response is praise him. Because he's sovereign. And he knows what he has for you. And it's good. So praise is due his name because of it. But we also have a response to God's commanded will. And to God's commanded will, and every time I come to this point, there's a, a children's song that comes in my hand. because it, it comes in my head because we covered trust. If you think children's Sunday school songs and trust and there it is. And that's what we're supposed to do. Trust and obey. It if it's good enough for our kids, it's good enough for us, right? Trust and obey. That's what we're supposed to do. So God's commanded will, our response to him is being obedient to everything in his word and begin the process of aligning our will with his. We talked about the right mindset at the beginning, which is Thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Your name be hallowed above everything else. The presumption here is that we are immersing immersing ourselves in Scripture to know so that we can do. If you don't know, it's impossible. We have to know and obey God's commanded will. Now, we have some broad brushstrokes of God's commanded will through the fundamentals of the faith chapter that we're going to look at. And it also, MacArthur's sermon on it did a really good job. But this encompasses the broad brushstrokes of God's will. One of them is to be saved. We talked about that. God's sovereign will is that he saves people, but he also says in 1 Timothy 2, four, he says, who desires all men, God, to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's also his commanded will. Sovereignly he will save us and he desires that all men come to the knowledge of the truth. He also commands one saved to be filled with the Spirit. You all familiar with this verse, Ephesians 5.18, he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now this filling, this word filled, is not like your cup coming to the top, and oh, it's full. It's not that filled. It's the opposite of the example he just gave earlier in the verse, do not get drunk with wine. When someone is under the influence of wine to the point of drunkenness or any alcohol, Their whole, everything they do, thoughts, actions, deeds, words, everything that happens is because of the influence of that substance. So the example he's given us is be that kind of filled, but with the Spirit. The Spirit needs to dominate every decision that we make, every thought, every action that we take. That is someone that's filled with the Holy Spirit. And the cool part is, is that's part of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. Christ said, Christ said, someone's coming he said he calls the holy spirit something he says he is a helper a helper is coming and that's who the holy spirit is in our life he nudges us he convicts us of sin that's what it is to be filled with the holy spirit he also tells us as you see on the slide to be submissive that's a command to submit first peter 2 13 and 15 submit yourselves for the lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evil doers and the praise of those who do right, for such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. We've already talked about this idea of suffering, but he commands suffering as well. It's part of God's commanded will. You will suffer. First Peter three seventeen to eighteen says it. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather for doing what is wrong. Suffering is a foregone conclusion. He commands us in our suffering to be doing what is right. For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. The ultimate example of suffering in doing what is right. This suffering happens, like we talked about, because of these collisions. of When our gospel, spirit-filled, saved, sanctified lives interact with the world around us, In the right way, according to God's commands, we will bump into people, which is God's sovereign will for us, to then his gospel is either shared or your acts, obeying the Lord, right? Cause people to look and go, why are they like that? And they praise God in heaven. It's on purpose. And sometimes their reaction to us is going to be harsh. But his commanded will is also then, we looked at this a little bit earlier, alluded to it, is. I skipped something. There it is. It was all in the same thing. It's to be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians four three says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is the idea of being set apart, being holy, be separate from the world. Why? And to what standard? To God's purposes and to God's standard. And he hits sexual morality because Paul helps us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You might want to write that down. At least it helps me. Why go straight to that? Why is that the one that is mentioned right off the bat? to be sanctified in. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 to 20 helps. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. If we're to know God's will and to do it, we must be sanctified. And it starts with our inside. It starts with our morality, with our inside. And and sexual morality is the one way in Scripture to where you are committing sins inside your own body, against the Holy Spirit. We have to align to God's will. We have to know it. And then we'll reference Romans 12, 1 and 2 again, as you can see on the slide. We looked at it a couple times. But this part we're going to highlight Presenting your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and not being conformed to the will or to the world. So that we can prove out what it is. So think about this: if we're obeying these broad brushstroke commands—saved, sanctified, submitted, suffering, um, self-sacrificial—I think I may have missed one. But if we're doing all of those, then we're not going to be conformed to the world. We're going to have a renewed mind. We're going to be able to make decisions that are within and in alignment with the will of God. And just like verse 2 of chapter 12 of Romans says, we will prove what the will of God is. It will work its way out of our lives. But this still leaves the question of what I do about that decision I have to make tomorrow, which is the right way to go. The The good news is we're not left alone in that. So let's review. Right? Where God commands, we obey. If it's written in Scripture, that helps. You have to know Scripture to know that, but if it's written in Scripture, you can know what to do. You have to obey that. Well, the next question is, what if it's not written in Scripture? What if there's not a direct command, right? Uh, If it's not a direct command, he gives us freedom to make a responsible decision. And here's where a verse that you might be thinking of is coming at you, Psalm 37, 4. The world takes this verse out of context, but we need to look at it in context. Psalm 37, four says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desire of your heart. So note the order, what comes first, whatever you want, you get. That is not what comes first. Delight yourself in the Lord is what comes first, which is what we've just been talking about. We're delighting ourselves in the Lord and everything he's commanded. That's what we meditate on day and night. That is our delight. So walk that through. If you're delighting yourself in the Lord, and that's all you're thinking about, how to obey him and how great he is and how I can submit to him and how I can suffer for him and what the gospel has done in my life and how I can praise him, what are your desires going to be? they are going to be desires that line up underneath the commanded will of God. That's what they are. And if that's the case, then the rest of that verse true, truthfully applies. And he will give you the desires of your heart. He's done that. We're delighted in ourselves in the Lord. And now our heart has the desires that match his. And then we know in his sovereign will that he will bring those things to bear. And you're given that freedom to make a responsible decision. Make a decision. But you still might be thinking that's not enough. Uh, there's got to be more. Well, there is. Not only has he done that, but he's also given us wisdom to make decisions. And wisdom in a couple of different ways. Right, so when there's not a command, he gives us wisdom to choose again within his will, responsibly according to his desires. So some ideas about wisdom. Ephesians 5, 15 to 16. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So now he's giving you that added idea of is does that make the most of your time? Is that the best use of your time to accomplish God's purposes? And then, lest you think I'm still on my own, Proverbs, in multiple ways, says, gain counsel. Gain counsel. Proverbs 11.14 says, well, there is no guidance the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Now, there's a presumption there that the counselors you're going to are also delighting themselves in the law of the Lord, because otherwise you'll get contradicting advice. And Then Ecclesiastes 10:10, in the idea of utilize wisdom, says, "If the axe is dull and he does not sharpen its edge, then he must exert more strength." That is true. Wisdom has the advantage of giving success. Meaning, you would sharpen the axe and not exert more strength. So go gain wisdom. Ask for counselors, and find them. You're not alone in making these decisions. And the last one, which is the most powerful thing that we have, is the reminder that when we are trying to make a decision, is to not forget. God's sovereignty, and it says, and the Lord will sovereignly direct us when we have chosen what is moral and wise, we trust our sovereign God to work all the details together for our good and growth in Christ's likeness. Don't forget Romans 8, 28. You're making a decision. You know God's commanded will. You know he's given you freedom to make a decision according to his will. He's given you counselors to go to, and he says, you can't break my sovereign will. Romans eight twenty eight says, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good, for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. He'll guide us. He'll bring us to the right decision. And if we are making the best decision that we think we can possibly make in light of God's commands, what happens if it wasn't God's sovereign will for you to turn left as opposed to right? He's infinite. He will work you around to where you go left. There's a book in the bookstore, really small a pamphlet, called Found God's Will by MacArthur, and he shares a story of a missionary that wanted to be a French-speaking missionary. He knew how to speak French, and he wanted to go to France to, speak, to be a missionary there. He ends up in Quebec after a time of struggling because he's trying to get into France. And he can't, he can't, he can't. What's happening? I went through this whole list. I did everything right. God wanted him in a different place where they speak French. And he landed in Quebec. God's will cannot be thwarted. It's good, and we can take comfort and sovereign and 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 um, comfort from that. So let me summarize. We've covered three key things. The first part was mindset. You have to have the mindset that God's will in His holy name is everything and is everywhere. Where I start, we have to start from there. The second part was mastering context. There's God's sovereign will which cannot be thwarted, and there's God's commanded will that I have to know. And then the third part was making decisions. We can trust and obey God's commands to be spirit-filled, to delight ourselves in Him, and to utilize wisdom and counselors to make the best decision that we can possibly make. But in the end, He gives us the freedom to choose and to just operate in faith. So let me close with a quote from MacArthur. He says, To be filled with the Spirit is to live in the consciousness of the personal presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, as if we were standing next to Him, And to let his mind dominate our life is to fill ourselves with God's word so that his thoughts will be our thoughts, his standards, our standards, his work, our work, and his will, our will. Christ consciousness leads to Christ likeness. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we have spent the last 45 or so minutes talking about your will for our lives. And we praise you for being sovereign, for having a good plan for all of your creation, all of your people, all of the governments and nations into the smallest details of our lives. And for part of that being our salvation. And for your character being patient to save all that you've intended to save throughout time. And Lord, we pray this morning that you receive glory from us for that the most glory that you can possibly receive. But Lord, we also praise you for giving us our your commanded will. We know what you want us to do. You've revealed it on your pages of scripture. And Lord, help us to be studious and diligent to know it, to immerse ourselves in it, to think as much like you as we possibly can in every moment so that we make decisions based off the things that you're pleased with. And Lord, we thank you so much and take great comfort that you've given us your help with the Holy Spirit to help us in these things. And Lord, that you are sovereign and nothing can change your goodwill. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.